I just want to read a few verses again from that chapter that we just read. Uh, that was 1 Peter and chapter 1. 1 Peter and chapter 1. I only found out that I would need to be preaching this morning. Uh, sort of late afternoon yesterday. So we are considering a subject which is more topical rather than textual, which is not usually the way, but in this case, I think it will be beneficial for us. Let's read from verse 22, 1 Peter and chapter 1. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's help as we consider his word this morning. Give thee thanks, O Lord, again, that we have this opportunity to be in thy presence and to consider thy word and consider even the subject of thy word. We pray, O Lord, this morning that as we do so, thou would be glorified and lifted up and that you would speak to our souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I say, I didn't get much notice uh, for preaching today, but I want to consider with you this morning the subject, which may be a subject which is of special relevance in many ways, Uh, today. We are in times of unbelief, times where truth is considered to be whatever fits with one's own context, where we may make it up as we go along, so to speak. And people speak of speaking their truth uh, rather than the truth. The subject I want to consider this morning is a subject that we have considered in the past. It is the word of God itself. And how is it that we know that the Bible is true. How is it that we know that the Bible is true? That subject touches on, or could touch upon, many areas of study, but this morning I want to keep things simple and brief. But in introduction, I I want to first comment on the question, how do we know the Bible is true? The answer to the question really relies upon what we mean by true, and in what sense we mean true. If we're asking if the Bible is historically true, It could certainly be demonstrated that the Bible is historically true, but that would not be of a great benefit necessarily to us and our souls uh, and our condition before God, just knowing that the Bible is historically true. Are we asking, is it true in its claim to be inspired by God? Uh, Again, we could spend some time showing how this claim that the Bible makes of itself is substantiated by the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament, and we could go through them and demonstrate how that it must be inspired of God, and we would be happy to do that. But it wouldn't really cut through to the real issue at the heart of the question. And perhaps we're asking, how do we know that the Bible is true in its claims of the supernatural, its claims about miracles? If that's the case, then it largely depends on your views beforehand. Someone who is a committed atheist who doesn't believe in God will not allow for miracles and the supernatural. There must be an explanation for everything that happens because they do not believe in God. A miracle, by definition, is out of the ordinary. 
But out of the ordinary is no problem for one who believes in God, because God is himself supernatural. He is above nature. Because all things are possible to God, by definition. Therefore, there is no problem for someone who believes in God to believe that there is a miracle. So to answer the question again, it's not necessarily very helpful, uh, and perhaps it's best answered in the context of the conversation if you're having one. So how then am I going to answer the question? Is the, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we have this knowledge? Truth, by definition, is that which conforms to reality that we see around us and sense. A true statement is a statement that relates to reality or to logic. And so in answering the question, I want to cut to the heart of the issue here. And in the days in which we live, this type of conversation, this type of subject is largely ignored. It's largely put aside and not considered at all. And the Bible is perhaps true to some, but not true to others. But I, don't, I don't want to just show you how it is true. I want to show also why you must believe it. In essence, then, my answer to the question, how do we know that the Bible is true, is that we know the Bible is true because it must be true. And so there are three ways in which it is demonstrated that the Bible must be true. First of all, its accuracy in describing the human condition. The Bible must be true because of how accurately it describes the human condition. Secular society have this idea of humanity whereby we will advance and advance till we are morally superior beings, where we will have no need of greed, no need of wickedness, we will, in, for the most part, become a perfect race of human beings one day. And you only have to look at certain um, sci-fi series that come on TV or books to see that that's the case, that a lot of people believe that. That as we evolved from uh, previous uh, versions of ourselves, so we will continue to do so until we become morally superior to what we are now. And we already are now morally superior to how we were back in the past. When we talk about the human condition, biblically speaking, we see that it comports to reality. First of all, I'm referring to man's sinful condition. The Bible speaks to the corruption of men's hearts and how the heart of a, of a human being takes what is good and corrupts it and twists it into something bad. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. That is to say that man's hearts are beyond human remedy, that they're sneaky, that they're insidious in making excuses, in justifying wicked behavior. And that does comport to reality, does it not? We see this around us every day. We know of it, we hear of it in the news. Even people who we consider to be moral still have that seed of corruption they can be corrupted, they are not beyond it. Human beings are fundamentally, as the Bible says, the children of wrath. We can see that by looking at the world around us, at how far some men and women have gone in their evil, even murdering and raping and stealing and oppressing, making war on one another, speaking evil of one another, gossiping behind others' backs and lying about others. Laundering money and stealing money and having nations, having men assassinated, 
nations, putting normal, ordinary people into concentration camps and killing them. The selfishness and wickedness of man is seen all around us. It's seen in his greed, even at the expense of others. Lusting after power, giving no thought for those under them. Man seeks his own will, he seeks his own ends. We can see it as well by looking at our children. We don't need to teach them to lie, to be deceitful, to steal. We don't need to teach children to rebel. They know those things innately. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can see it in ourselves also. If we are being honest, how difficult it is for us to be virtuous, how difficult it is to be patient sometimes, to endure wrongs done against us, to hold off temptation, to not become angry, to hold off of lust, to hold off our desires for things which are not ours. So we lie, we covet, we lust each and every day, and we justify it in our own minds. The Bible says that mankind is like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In the book of Judges, the word of God summarizes the behavior of mankind when left to his own devices. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That is our condition. And that is what the Bible teaches us. That is what we see around us. And many today lament the state of the world. They lament the wars, the hatred, the opposition of one man or one group or one country against another. Here is the explanation, there is no other explanation, that mankind is by nature fallen and sinful. We love our sin and we want to wallow in the muck. And that is what the Bible teaches, that is what we see. So in that sense then, we can see that the Bible is true. Secondly, we see man's calamitous condition as well as his sinful condition. The Bible says that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And in the book of Job, isn't that the experience of each of us? That there is no ease in life? That is due to the sinful condition of man. And we labor under the curse of sin since Adam fell in the garden. And that is what the Bible teaches. It teaches that the ground itself was cursed when Adam fell. That the earth was cursed. That we, we were cursed to work and to endure hardships and difficulties. And thorns would spring up. Because of our disobedience to God. We just read the book of Job and see there all of the things that he suffered. Man is born unto trouble. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and we can see that that to be true. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. This also is a sore evil that in all points as he came... So shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath laboured for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. This is what the Bible says about man, of man's condition, calamitous condition. Does it not again comport to reality the difficulties that we must deal with because of the fact that we are fallen in Adam? What suffering we experience, times of trial, uh, of difficulty, afflicted with sickness and and weakness of the body. Even now, we have people uh, who are set aside. My mum being in hospital and my dad having to self-isolate 
uh, and me having a cold, and it's okay, I've had lemon sip, so I'll be good for a little while yet. But we have difficulties to deal with of greater and lesser uh, extent. And we labor and we work and we must sleep to recover strength and we must make sure that we eat enough nutritious food to stay healthy and keep our immune systems up. And we go back to work and continue that we must labor for more. And we may have great success, we might have great riches, we might have great comforts in life, but what does that profit us? For we will one day return to the dust and we can take nothing with us. Naked we came out of the womb and naked we will go back to the grave. We were born with nothing, we will die with nothing. And this is man's condition. And I do not say all this to cause you to despair. I am simply pointing out that the Bible speaks truth about it. Uh, it is speaking about humanity, and that is exactly what we see. And many today will preach a different gospel, and they call it the prosperity gospel. And they say that if you're a Christian, if you love the, the Lord, and if you pray, and if you come and give an offering at this church, then you'll have a great life. And you can name whatever it is you want, and you'll have it. That does not comport to reality. It's lies, and the Bible does not teach it. Calamitous condition of man. Then also man's doomed condition. The Bible takes great pains to ensure that those who read it understand that justice must be done. And indeed, the Bible alone can really explain and account for the, even the concept, an idea of justice. It makes plain that there must be a balance. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. As from the Bible. Those that do wickedness must be judged accordingly. And that's true, is it not? That many who have done great and heinous and wicked things have not faced justice in this world. It's true that many wicked things have been done and some perhaps we have no idea or clue of throughout history. Which may or may not have been caught. And if they weren't caught then they never faced justice. Have they escaped justice then? Have great war criminals escaped justice? Like Hitler, who took his own life, for example. Oh, the, the Bible makes plain that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God, through his word, makes plain that sin brings forth death. The war communicates to you this morning that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so in short this morning, do not go away with the impression that it is possible to avoid justice. Justice will be meted out. Justice will be meted out on all sin, not merely on the greatest sinners, not just on the war criminals or upon those who have escaped justice in this world. The Bible provides an objective standard of right and wrong, God's standard, that which is in line with God's nature. Those who have fallen short of that standard will meet with God's justice. Unbelief in him is a great sin. The Bible describes mankind as, I said, the children of wrath, which means that we are destined, naturally speaking, for wrath, destined to feel the wrath of God against us for our sin. So the condition of man then in our natural state is that we are doomed to eternal wrath, the doomed condition of man. The Bible is true in describing mankind. 
It cannot be denied that man in his sin and in his condition and how he relates to one another is exactly as the Bible describes. So we can see the Bible then is true and we know it to be true. The second reason why we must believe that the Bible is true, and I say again, we must believe, is its uniqueness in offering a solution to man's problem. Not only is there no other book that so accurately and concisely describes the problem that man has and his condition, but there is no other book that offers a solution that is so unique. And the uniqueness of the Bible's solution is seen not only in what the solution is, but that the solution that is offered in the word of God is the only solution that actually works. That solves the problem. The Bible reveals to us God's Son, who being God, being co-equal and eternal with the Father and with the Spirit, became a man, took on flesh. That's what we remember at Christmas time, of course. Being found in fashion as a man, this God-man humbled himself to become obedient to that law of God so that he would, was sinless. But yet as a man was able to die in the place of men. And he was able to satisfy God's justice because he himself was God. No solution is offered other than this. There is no step by step offered whereby a man can become righteous in God's eyes on his own. In fact, that is expressly taught against. Romans chapter 3, we're talking about the Bible tonight. Let's see what the Bible says for itself in this regard. World religions teach without exception that some sort of heaven can be attained through deeds and through application of oneself to those things. Do these things and you will obtain heaven or you will obtain enlightenment or obtain paradise. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3, in verse 10 of Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law... Shall, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so it's not possible for man to be right with God under his own steam, so to speak. Christ says, of course, in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so this morning, the, the, this message of the Bible is a message to you. It's true in all points, cannot be missed. There is no other way to God except through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has died for sins. He alone has risen again. He alone has ascended to present himself as proof 
that his own people have been purchased out of that slave market, so to speak, of sin, and now are legally free. And so you must believe the Bible, because the Bible alone testifies of this unique one, Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible alone tells you, you can do nothing to save yourself. You may only and can only trust in Christ. There is no other name under heaven, the Bible says, given among men whereby ye must be saved. Here then is a necessity. You must believe the Bible, the word of God. So finally this morning you must believe the Bible tonight, uh, this morning because of its exclusivity as an explanation of man's purpose. It's a question as old as the ages, a question that people have been asking ever since questions have been asked. There is a a website sometimes I go on called Quora where they ask questions and people come back and answer and give their answers on various different topics and subjects and people who know about the field try and answer the question. Philosophy and theology are areas where I have some interests, and it was interesting that I saw this question, what is the oldest question in the world? The answer with the most upvotes, so to speak, was a single word, why? That really is a question with great depth. Why? Why am I here? Why do I have the ability to think and self-determine? Why do I crave answers to questions about the meaning and purpose of life? What what am I here for? What purpose do I serve as a human being? Do I serve one at all? Well, many would essentially say today, no, you don't. You don't serve any purpose. You are here to exist for a while and die. You'll be remembered by your relatives and then perhaps by your grandchildren, maybe... A photo of you will be looked at by your great-great-grandchildren one day, but eventually the memory of you will be gone. It will be as if you never existed. That is the hope that the world has. There is nowhere else to get a satisfactory answer to this question than the Bible. The chiefest and the highest end or purpose of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That God has made him for himself, made us for himself. That only in God is there satisfaction of the deepest need and purpose of our souls. That we were created to glorify and enjoy God and his presence and his dwelling with us. That he should be to us a God and we should be to him a people. To appreciate, to adore him, to give our affection and love to him, to be in subjection to him. We think of it as a great kindness in a man to spare lives, but what kindness is it in God to give us our life? He gives us our very breath. And just as he gives us life, so he gives all the comforts of life. He gives us health, which sweetens our life, and food that nourishes our life. For we receive from his bounty. Is it not reasonable then that we should glorify him? Shouldn't we live for him? seeing we live by and through him. Romans 11 verse 36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. 
Amen. That is, all things that exist come from him. All things that exist do so for his glory. And all things that exist, exist only by his power and his favour. We owe all to him for his continuous blessing of us. So in closing, considering whether the Bible, how we know that the Bible is true, it must be true. Because there is accuracy describing our condition, and if it is not true, we are lost. And there is no purpose to life. But we know that there is. And that feeling, that knowledge, that experience that we have comports to reality is what the Bible teaches us itself. It must speak of it in terms of the necessity that we have of believing the word. And the thankfulness that we should have in our hearts for the word. Turn again, turn in the, in the Bible to Proverbs 29 and verse 18. And this is a very important verse. A verse which is more apt today than it ever was in our experience. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where the word the word vision there is really speaking of revelation. If God has not revealed himself through his word, and if he did not do so, then there would be no hope for us. We would perish. Where there is no revelation from God, the people perish. And this morning perhaps you are here just out of habit, out of obligation. <coughs> Let's make clear this morning that we have the Bible, the word of God, to take up ourselves and read, that it is the truth of God, that it is God's revelation of himself, that there he describes us in accurate detail, that there he shows our doom, there also he shows us our salvation and our hope, and it is a sure and steadfast hope. We can test and prove the words, so take up the word of God and read it we have the revelation of God, there is no point having it if we do not read it. And where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you want to know the Bible is really from God, then read it. This book is not just true, but it is a living book. It is the word of God. And so as we read the word of God, the Lord himself actively applies it to our hearts. And by the Holy Spirit's work... This book, almost as it were, interacts with its reader. Take up the word and read. It is a bounteous blessing that God has given to us. In times past, the word has not been available. and has been kept behind lock and key. It has been lost. The reading of it has been stopped because it has been written in languages that the common people didn't know. In all these different ways, it has not been available. But now it is. Let us make use of it. Times past God at sundry times, that is, he says, here is here a little and there a little. And by diverse different methods, the Lord spoke by the prophets and over thousands of years and by men he has spoken. And now in these last days, he has spoken by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by him that we hear from God. And so over 1500 years and by 40 different authors, the Lord has presented us a uh, uh, and given us this unified word of God. Truth without error. Without contradiction. Testify to this one end. That Christ the son of God has come. 
that he took flesh and died for the sins of his people, that he rose from the dead and now rules in heavenly places until that day when he comes again to judge. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Here is that vision. Here is that revelation. It is a blessing from God that he has seen fit to warn us of our sin and give us, given us that which guides us throughout life. What a privilege it is for you to hold these words in your hands. Let's not dismiss them, let's not put them aside. But let's take up the word of God, read it and trust in him and believe in the Lord. And he might speak to us and give us that vision, that revelation, that we might live and be happy in the service of God. May God grant it for his glory. Amen.